So I have a question for you, and it's one that I've been thinking about lately, too. What's the nicest thing a stranger has ever done for you? In this episode, I invited two people to share their own stories and to encourage you as you think about what your own story of kindness might be. I'm Josh Morgan, and this is The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm a data analyst and sociologist living in Baltimore, Maryland, and I produce this podcast for people who aren't ready to give up on humanity yet. There are lots of problems in the world, but I'm building an archive of solutions. Now, I usually talk with leaders who have dedicated themselves to improving the lives of others, and I collect their advice in case you'd like to make a difference too. But this month marks the third anniversary of The Plural of You, and I wanted to try something a little different this episode to celebrate. The holiday season is coming up here in the U.S., which for a lot of us means opportunities to reflect on what we're grateful for and what's important to us. And that process always involves thinking about the people who have touched our lives. This has been an overwhelming year for a lot of us, myself included, so I'm using this episode to remind us that although life can be tough at times, we all cross paths with those who try to make our circumstances better in their own ways, especially when we least expect it. Each of us has a story like that related to the kindness of strangers, and today I have two examples to share with you. The first story comes from a guy named Smooch. His, his birth name is John, but everyone knows him as Smooch. He's a theatrical designer and technician from Chicago. He's helped put together live events for theaters around the country, but he mostly works at a cultural center in Elgin, a city to the north of Chicago. His story involves a health scare, and it features lights in a dark place. Smooch from Chicago. What started the process was just a simple case of strep throat. I just let it go. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't go to immediate care. Basically, one day at work, um, I was supposed to do a 12-hour shift. I did my 9 to 5, felt kind of feverish, a little kind of cold sweats, whatever, power through it, usually do. Go to sit up in my, sit upstairs at my desk um, at about 5 o'clock, and it just hit me like a wall, and it just felt horrible. You know, my throat was kind of tight, and it didn't hurt, and just it felt tight, felt feverish, and I was like, you know, I'm going to go home and, and just get some rest and try to sleep it off, and... The next day, I woke up feeling better. So I thought, okay, maybe I just had like a 24-hour flu or whatever they do, and kind of ignored it. And that was the Monday before my birthday. My birthday was on a Friday. That Friday was my was my birthday, and I was doing a sound system install, and I was about 65 feet in the air. I've never felt vertigo or had any fears of height ever, and like just that day, I finally realized there was something wrong. So I went home and laid up for the next two days. And then Sunday I went to uh, immediate care and they did a uh, strep test, the one of the flu test, they did a mono test and everything came back negative, but they're like, you're clearly dehydrated. So they like just gave me a couple bottles of water and just told me to kind of be careful. And they gave me antibiotics anyway. So you're like, cause sometimes strep throat doesn't show up on the instant test, but they're like, oh, we're gonna send your cultures out. We'll get a real test. Within three days, like things are supposed to like kind of get better. Um, and they did like the absolute opposite for me. Two, three days goes by, I call them back. I'm like, I'm not feeling any better. I'm feeling worse. I'm still taking this antibiotic. So they bring me back in. Then they do the strep test, all those tests again. And the mono test, the flu test, and the strep test all came back positive. And that day they happened to get my cultures back. And they're like, oh, you actually have a very rare strain of strep throat that you don't really see that often. Fast forward like probably about two weeks. I was like going there constantly. And over this course of the two weeks, I wasn't drinking or eating because it was causing a lot of pain. And I was just constantly sleeping. I'd wake up, I'd feel horrible. I would 
go to the immediate care. And that's when one of the nurses realized that I was 34 pounds lighter than the first time I came in two weeks prior. And then I started explaining that like, even when I drank water, it would cause a horrible pain and what felt to be like above my stomach, like not in my stomach, but like above it. So then I go on to a regimen of going in daily to get IV fluid. And then they're trying to figure out what's going on with, with my system. At the time it was my primary care, who's also happens to be in a immediate care facility. But what happened is essentially the bacteria from the strep throat I got because I ignored it, it became infectious. And I got um, two ear infections, a nose infection, an eye infection, and the um, bacteria from the strep throat kind of got into my esophagus. And then so he could tell there was something wrong there. He, and so he knew that there was something wrong with my, what's my, called your EG junction is your eso- uh, gastroesophageal junction. It's where your like stomach and esophagus meet. At this point, we're kind of like a month down the line of him, like me going in there every day. I'm getting like literally living off of IV fluid. I've called out of a bunch of work. I've been doing nothing but sleeping and like not moving really, like quickly running out of money. It gets to a point where he's like, there's something wrong in your esophagus. He's like, but he's like, I can't see that with x-ray machines. He's like, so we're going to have to send you somewhere. He's like, I want you to have an endoscopy, which is where they put the camera down your throat. He recommends me a friend of his who's like one of the leading like gastro guys in Chicago. And at this point, I should mention that he, like doctor actually seems fairly worried about me, like, which is, which is kind of an odd thing to see is have a doctor worried about you. So I was at, at uh, Walgreens and I actually get a phone call and he took it upon himself to call the gastro doctor and be like, Hey, this kid needs some help. I need you to do an endoscopy as soon as possible. So my doctor calls me to let me know that I'm going to get a call from his receptionist to set up uh, an appointment. About two hours later, I'm at my house and I get a phone call from the receptionist. She asked me my information. She's like, Oh, it's, and this is a Friday. So like we make a decision that I'm going to like, go to this hospital on a Saturday and he's going to squeeze me in, in between two surgeries. This is after my birthday, four weeks to the day. So I get a, I get a call back from her and she's like, your insurance expires at midnight because I had just, at that time I had just turned 26 and because of all the health issues, I never switched to my, because my, the theater I work for is for the city of Elgin. And so I never switched to the city insurance because I was still on my parents, because why would I pay for insurance if I can be on my parents for that much longer? Right away, she's like, we're talking about, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I mean, I don't know if I can get to there, and I still had to pay a deductible, and I was, like, not really sure what was going to happen. And I'm like, she can tell I was stressing out a little bit, and she's like, let me call you back in in a few minutes. So I get a phone call back from her, and she's like, okay, can you be at this address at 10 o'clock tonight? I was like, sure, perfect. She's like, you just be there, bring, uh, bring someone to drive you home because you'll be sedated, you can't drive home. So then, of course, my roommate gets home. I ask him quickly if he can drive me down there. He says yes. And then it comes down to about 9.30, and I pull up the address. And at this, uh, I live in Chicago. I'm on the north side, and I pull up the address, and it's on like the south side of Chicago. So I'm like, this is kind of odd. I never, didn't realize there were medical facilities, and what I knew was an industrial park. And this part, it was actually kind of creepy because I thought, I thought for sure I was going to lose a liver or like a kidney into some kind of black market person. So we pull up completely dark. This industrial park is obviously closed. So you see there's no lights on it anywhere. I walk up to the door that had the address on it that I needed and it's unlocked. And we walk in and there's a light on the, we're like, we're in like a lower level lobby and there's like a, almost kind of like a balcony type stair set. And this nurse walks up to the, to the railing after he, after he hears the door open. He's like, Oh, are, are you John? And I was like, yeah. 
And oh, okay, cool. So then he comes down and he like locks the door behind me, which again, thought was super odd and super weird. So then he walks me upstairs. Everything is completely dark. The only lights that are on is like one light in the lobby area and like one light above like the receptionist desk. He gives my roommate a remote and he goes, oh, the room's over there. You can go watch TV. And then he walks me over to the reception area and he starts trying to do my paperwork. It becomes very apparent that he doesn't know how to do the paperwork, which at first kind of made me nervous. He's like, hold on, I got to call someone. So he calls someone, puts him on speakerphone. Whoever he called clearly just woke up. And he's like, hey, I have a patient here that I'm trying to get into the system. And so the guy that was on the phone then walks me and him through the process for taking my payment, taking my insurance, taking down my information, making sure all the paperwork's fine. While we're sitting there, then another person, like I hear the door unlock and walk in, doesn't even like really say anything to us, just walks past us and like goes and starts turning lights on. We finished the paperwork. He walks me back there. He starts like the whole, like the prep procedure. At this point, it's got to be 11 o'clock at night. He like puts me in like one of the hospital gowns, gives me an IV. He starts getting ready. The other person walked in, turns out to be an anesthesiologist who's like turning on all the tanks. They get me, I have me on a bed. I have IV. The anesthesiologist is essentially like ready to like put me under. And she's and the nurse is like, we're just going to wait for the doctor. He's on his way. He had surgery. He had a surgery that was ending at midnight. So he'll be here soon. About 12, 20 walks around and this, then the doctor walks in, asks me some questions. This is the gastro doctor I had never worked with before. And again, the whole thing's really weird. Like being in a medical facility that was clearly shut down, like not functioning in the current, in its current state. But at the same time, I was like, she's so defeated with what was ever going to happen. I was at a point like, you know what? Whatever happens, happens. If I go out this way, that's the coolest, the cool story my family can tell. And anyway, the doctor walks in, he starts talking to me, he starts pushing on my chest, asking questions, you know, going through the process, the procedure. And so I'm like, so then they start closing down and they, I walk out. And then on our car at home, I start to kind of come to a little bit more than I was. I look at my roommate and I was like, that was the weirdest experience I've ever had. I start looking up things on my phone and it turns out that this facility is owned by that gastro doctor. This is his clinic. And it's closed on Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays because he's doing surgeries at other facilities. This actually legit made me break, it, break down into tears. I did not know what to do with myself because because my insurance was ending, they made a point to make sure they did the process just before midnight, even though the procedure happened after midnight. They, and it's one of those things. It's not even like they asked a nurse to stay late and asked the anesthesiologist to stay late. It's like they had them come in on their day off. They like called and woke up the receptionist. They opened this facility and turned on their, the anesthesia stuff and all these things that like, I'm sure there's a huge process to make all this stuff happen. It was that procedure that fixed almost everything because on top of doing all that, he also did just enough for me to like start eating again, which is what I really needed. So I could actually start getting better within three weeks. I was like back up to almost full speed, just having to be careful with my weekend esophagus. And then also one other thing too, to like to top it all off is before I left, there's this really expensive medi- medication that I'm on. Um, it's like $300 on top on my, with my insurance per month. And it's a, specifically what it does is it rebuilds esophageal tissue. And he gave me like four months supply in free samples before I left. They went above and beyond what they needed to do. Cause it would have been so easy to be like, Oh, there's no time to do it Friday. We only have time on Saturday to squeeze you in. Oh, but you don't have insurance. So sorry. I'm not lying when I said that on the car ride home, I started putting it all together in my head and realizing what had happened. I literally broke down into tears and I just sobbed uncontrollably for like five minutes while I just realized that 
it was kind of awesome that there's actually people out there who go above and beyond and use what control they have of the facility to like help me when I was not doing very well at all and literally came close to death at one point. Have you had interactions with him since? Uh, yeah, I had, um, I had post-op. I actually, I took the time to write a thank you card to my primary doctor who's no longer my primary doctor, unfortunately, and the gastro doctor. Luckily too, because the procedure was before my insurance ended, the follow-up appointments fell onto that bill. It seems super minor that it just kind of worked out that way. But if my primary doctor didn't take the time to call the gastro doctor on his own, I probably would have waited till Monday and I would have been screwed over. How has this experience affected you? Like, is there anything that you picked up that maybe you didn't have before this all happened? I wouldn't say that I was a pessimistic before, but I always had doubts in certain people and like just humanity in general. To me, that's, I feel like it's taken me a step further away from pessimism, which I really appreciate too, because like I said, it was a, it was a huge thing that none of them had to do. You know, they're all making really good money. It's not like they're making extra money by squeezing me in. The nurse could have said, no, I can't come in. The anesthesiologist could have said, no, I'm not going to come in. Like, you know, the receptionist could have like blew up on the phone that he was woken up in the middle of the night. It wasn't just like one doctor that helped. It was like a little tiny community of like medical people that like let me interrupt their days. It's exciting to always like think back and appreciate that, like how much they went through for essentially no extra gain aside from the fact of like the satisfaction and desire to help another person. Thanks to Smooch from Chicago for sharing that story. If you'd like to contact Smooch or check out his theatrical design work, which is really impressive, by the way, you can visit smoochdesign.com. The second story about the kindness of strangers comes from a guy named Ben, who's based in Oklahoma. He works in the oil and gas industry, mostly as a tanker truck driver, with routes in Texas and Oklahoma and as far north as North Dakota. His story involves a turkey sandwich on a lonely holiday. He wrote it back a few years ago, and I came across it and really liked it, so I asked him if he'd be willing to share it. I think I surprised him, but in a good way. Ben from Oklahoma. It was Thanksgiving morning. I grew up in a different state. I came down here to work, and I'd never, ever been away from home on a major holiday until then wasn't really looking forward to doing anything. And I kind of remember the phone going off and, you know, just, oh, geez, here we go. We have 15 employees. I was the only one single with no kids and pretty well obligated to work. It's just kind of the nature of the industry. It doesn't really matter if it's a holiday or not. If if there's work to be done, you're going to work. Time and a half doesn't really matter when you're negative and your outlook is so bleak and you just want to sit around under a blanket on the couch and feel sorry for yourself. It doesn't really matter that you're going to get paid time and a half. I had a lunch counter burrito and string cheese for my Thanksgiving that day instead of, you know, what I'm typically used to, not to mention the family and the football and the fireplaces and all that. I can just remember the the weather, the conditions weren't helping any. It was windy. It was chilly and rain. Well, that was what? That was 10 years ago. Western Oklahoma and the and the Texas Panhandle, and uh, the wind hasn't quit yet. I did everything I could to get done as fast as I could, so I could just go home and feel sorry for myself. I remember we were out in Texas, and I was feeling like I was going to be home pretty quick. And I got to 
my next destination, the next uh, oil and gas well, and there was a truck in my way, and he just started. And it it takes quite a while for those guys to load crude oil. So everything I'd done to uh, hurry up and get home at that point was just kind of null and void. I like to visit. I just couldn't make myself that day. And I remember he waved at me, and it's totally out of my character, but I didn't even wave back at the guy. I just kind of dug into my Lunchables and, and string cheese Thanksgiving and feeling sorry for myself and having a big old pity party. I'm not proud of it, but it is what it is. And that's when he knocked on the door and uh, I had to kind of, what do they say, eat crow. I had to come to terms with, with kind of being a uh, sourpuss and ignoring that guy. So he got my attention and you'd have to be extremely unfriendly to like, you know, ignore someone standing right there. So I went ahead and opened the door and climbed out of the truck just to see what was going on. And that's when I saw he had a, a brown paper sack and a big old smile on his face. So what was I going to do? Just turn around and like ignore the guy. There's no way he's killing me with kindness here. He could have been in a good mood because his day was almost over. Or he could have known that he had a house full of family and kids, or maybe he was excited about watching football that night. I don't know. Some people are just like that. I opened the sack and there was a gigantic turkey sandwich wrapped in tinfoil. Obviously, that was supposed to be for him. The bread was homemade, which was a first for me, and it was amazing. I've been told now that maybe I'm looking at that memory through rose-colored glasses because it was so nice. But from what I can recall, it really was an amazing turkey sandwich. Totally, uh, why would anyone want the burrito and everything I had looking for me in that cooler when you could have that? You could tell it was made with love, whoever made it. We visited, and I chewed and savored the, the sandwich. He was fixing to leave. He said, uh, I want you to have this too. And it was a slice of pecan pie and aluminum foil. And he definitely didn't have to do that. And he said, I'm going to go home and have all kinds of leftovers waiting on me. You could probably put this to good use. And, uh, yeah, I got a little choked up. I don't want to lose my man card for saying that, but it made me feel pretty good. I can't remember the guy's name. I can remember the Texas flag patch on his shirt. He wasn't trying to do anything except just share leftovers that his wife had, had sent with him. But I think maybe he actually was trying to get around to don't be such a sourpuss. I mean, why are you acting so salty? Life is good. He didn't say that in so many words, but he kind of said that in his actions, which I guess is just as important and made the same or even more of an impact. He was just a very positive, upbeat person. I don't know. It's kind of helped me. Sure. I mean, I'm a human. I still get frustrated all the time and discouraged, but things aren't really that bad. And he kind of showed me that even the smallest compliment or, or a smile, somebody holding the door for you. If you're having a terrible day, it can change you around. And at that point in my life, I hadn't lost anyone close to me yet. So that day was probably the worst day I'd ever had. And he he changed my whole perspective, and the rest of the day was just a breeze. I enjoyed my coffee. I enjoyed my CDs. I enjoyed being alone on Thanksgiving because, I don't know, he, he completely flipped it around and made me kind of look at myself. And why do that to yourself? Why be miserable? There's all kinds of pain in life, but you should just try and stay positive. It's hard. 
don't get me wrong. I'm not like a sandal wearing love the earth and everyone in it type of person, but I try. I really try. I think everybody should. I was actually kind of happy. I was able to to work that day and let the guys with kids and, and families and stuff be home with them. Totally different attitude than what I'd had right before that. I've ended up being gone for most Thanksgivings since then. I've spent a few Christmases alone. It's not that big a deal. And there's plenty of people that do that every year. There are worse places to be than the cab of a truck on Thanksgiving or an Oklahoma Waffle House on Christmas morning, which is another story. But if you look at life with the right perspective and a little sense of humor, neither one of those places are the worst place to be on a holiday. And there's always people alone that day, people in veterans' homes to uh, look at all the people that are going to work and be by themselves. Truck stop on a Thanksgiving or a Christmas day, that's got to be pretty rough for a lot of people. Every time there's a there's a big holiday like that, it's somebody's first holiday alone, so you should be like extra, extra nice. With all the people traveling on those holidays, just think about all the guys that are working all the trucks going down the road, every single one of those people are alone and away from their family. That kind of sounds a little cheesy that uh, a turkey sandwich and uh, visiting for 45 minutes on Thanksgiving Day out in Texas could have like, uh, I'm not going to say changed your whole life. It uh, proves that things aren't that bad and you can't just let yourself get that negative and it's just going to ruin your whole day. And I was lucky I had that dude right there to uh, show me the error of my ways. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and share that story. Is there anything you'd like to plug or anything that you're working on that you'd like to draw attention to? If anyone wants to uh, check out my Instagram at Union Pacific Line, maybe they'd enjoy my photography because it's been 10 years and I still... I still kind of enjoy the uh, the great wide open and the sunsets and the sunrises. Your message the other morning was kind of a shock. I got that impression, to be honest. <laughs> I always enjoyed writing, although I never, ever went to school or did it professionally. But I've been feeling a lot lately that I kind of squandered that. And it's a stress reliever. And then I was so surprised when I got your message. So there's another act of kindness. You didn't even know it. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Thanks to Ben from Oklahoma for sharing that story. This has been The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.